Blog Talk Radio. And welcome on, uh, for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We are the show that uh, tackles some pretty tough topics sometimes. Sometimes we, we tackle some fun topics. I was just talking with my guest off air about a, a fun Mother's Day show we did uh, last year that uh, I still enjoy thinking about. So it's not all uh, serious and heavy-duty stuff, but uh, a lot of it is. And I think that today's topic can be considered heavy-duty, but it's also um, can be pretty helpful. And what I'm talking about is advocacy. And we have with us uh, Mai Fernandez, uh, who is the Executive Director of the National Center for Victims of Crime. She's been there for a long time, since 2010, which is a long time in this day and age. Uh, and uh, I, I have a feeling that you're finding it tremendously satisfying. Welcome, Mai, for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. Great to be here. Good. Thank you. We're talking about advocacy, and my hope is that if you're out there listening, that you'll give us a call and talk about your experiences with advocacy, and the call-in number is 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430, and of course, I have the chat room open. We oftentimes have people who are a little shy about calling in, but they will leave comments in our chat room. So I have that open and ready for you to go. And uh, so here we go. Thank you, Mai. And um, what about advocacy? Why do, we, why do we need advocacy? What is it and why do we need it? Sure. Um, well, I think that there's two basic types, the kind of advocacy we do for victims themselves and then the kind of advocacy we do for all victims. When we're talking about individual victim advocacy, we're trying to help people who have been in a bad place make decisions and understand their options. So we're supporting victims and their families figure out how to stay safe. Um, we're intervening at different times. So if someone is raped, it's at the time when maybe they need to go to the hospital or the time they need to go talk to the prosecutor, or the first time they have to be in court. Um, it's really having people understand what their rights are and also what kinds of services are available for them, that there could be housing for them, or if they're an immigrant, there could be a way that they could stay here legally. Um, so those are the kinds of things that we mean when we talk about individual advocacy for victims. When we talk about public advocacy for victims, we're looking really at what are the policies out there that could help individuals when they're in, about, in a bad situation, and also how do we find funding for the kinds of services that they need, whether they're mental health services or housing services or legal services. We need to really stand up for individuals in bad situations and say they deserve services, but it costs money in order to provide it for them. Well, that's for sure. I mean, everybody, I, I always think of people who are, oh, I don't know the adjective, but who uh, disparage things that cost. But the fact is, you know, I mean, for, edu for example, education. I mean, it's wonderful to say free education, but 
teachers need to be paid, buildings need to be repaired. I mean, it it's not necessarily always nefarious to say things cost money. It's necessary, and so I think you're you're mentioning you know the the cost is very appropriate and very um, um, something that we we shouldn't disparage, but we should figure out how to work. Oh, absolutely, and oftentimes you know. We take it for granted or it's, you know, it's part of our legal system that if you're arrested for a crime, you get a lawyer. But if you're a victim of a crime, you're often alone and swaying in the wind. So an advocate takes the side of a victim and explains to them what's going on, leads them into counseling, tries to pr- create a safety plan. And all of those things, those, that's a full-time job. And, you know, well, people well, let me need to be paid here. Why things. would it? Why would a victim need an attorney? They're not going to be charged with anything, are they? No, but they have rights. They have a right to be heard. Um, they have a right to notice. So if there is, a, so if a perpetrator is is going into the courtroom, a victim has a right to be there and to know that he's going to be there. Um, if a victim wants to make a statement, um, they have a right uh, to make a statement in court, and they should know about that. Um, so it's really about them understanding what's going on. Sometimes, you know, crime happens and the victim has absolutely no idea what's gone on with the person that has done them harm. So if you've been raped and you don't have an advocate or an attorney, you may never really find out if and when there is a trial that, you know, something is being done to the guy that hurt you. Well, and from a safety standpoint as well, I know in here in Washington State, for example, in some counties, if you are a victim of domestic violence, um, there is a, a person from the court who will call you and say this person is now out of jail and, you know, things like that. Does, but that varies from state to state, does it not? Um, you know, every state has a Victims of Crime Act um, of one kind or another, and there are some basic principles that are embedded into all those laws one of them is a right to notice so it is the right for somebody to call you and say hey you know the person who did this to you is going to be in court or notice in many states of hey this guy is getting out today you either need to lock your doors or move to your mom's house or do something to keep yourself safe that's pretty harsh i mean wouldn't you think that well, I mean, we've all seen the, the television shows. I mean, we know that victims are vulnerable from the time they are victimized uh, forever and ever, um, it seems to me. Um, so so that's a legal advocate, right? Or is, I guess I'm, I'm confused. I hear advocates all the time, and I hear them in all sorts mm-hmm. of different contexts. I hear them a lot about domestic violence. I hear them a lot about victims of crime. Um, I... What are the different kinds of advocates that you can have? I mean, it seems to me that, um, oh, 100 years ago when I had a baby, okay, I had a doula. And I have often thought throughout my life, too bad we can't have a doula for everything. We need a divorce doula. We need a, you know, um, a, a dealing with the cable company doula. We, you know, <laughs> uh, we we need these doulas to help us out because they know what they're doing, and we usually are only experiencing things once or twice. Um, is that what an advocate can do? Is, is an advocate your doula for something like this, or is that too personal? 
Um, I think I think it can. There's a range. So an advocate can be a lawyer, somebody who's gone to law, law school and has got a JD, and that individual can be in the courtroom with you, making sure that you know all of your rights are protected. Um, in in other words, you know you have a right to make statements. You've got a right to notice. Um, right now in the military, if you are um, a victim of sexual assault you automatically get an attorney in order to ensure that you, everything in that process that is done is done with the victim in mind and the victim's needs in mind. And some jurisdictions around the country are starting to do that also. But that's, that's really sort of a very limited view of what an advocate is, a lawyer. An advocate can be also just somebody who's helping you understand what the process is. Okay, there's an arrest, and then there's going to be an arraignment, and then, you know, the, the first time the case is heard. So just understanding from soup to nuts what's going to happen. Is this person going to be in jail? Is this person going to be in the community? Um, and so really helping you understand the process. Then there's people who can really try to get you into a better place. Those advocates are helping you find housing. If you've got immigration issues, maybe they're trying to figure out how you can stay in this country legally. Um, and, you know, maybe you need mental health counseling. They're, they're going to help you find a counselor. So there are certain individuals that are going to do from soup to nuts. They're going to preserve your legal rights, and they're going to help you find a house to live in. And then there are certain kinds of advocates that take on very specialized roles. Um, it just depends on sort of what jurisdiction you're in and what's available. Okay. So what I'm getting from this conversation is that there are different kinds of advocates, uh, everything from attorneys who will help you with um, legal assistance and you know understanding your role, your place, uh, your rights and responsibilities when it comes to a, a, a legal victimization or a crime, right? But right. then there's also um, resource or referral advocates. Yes, exactly. Okay. And some of these people are, are based in the system. So some people may, may be in a prosecutor's office or in a police department. And some people might be community-based, so inside of a rape crisis center. Okay. All right. So how do I find a victim advocate? Do the police tell you you need to contact this organization or this office? Sometimes. Or does that vary from place um, it, to place? I think it varies from police department to police department, how much training they've received, what kind of resources are available in the community. I did want to um, say that we have a hotline uh, at the National Center for Victims of Crime. It's 855 855- Four, the number four, victim, and that translates into 855-484-2846. You can call that hotline anywhere in the country, and we will tell you the kind of resources that are in your area. So you can call from Washington, and we will tell you what's in your town and what kind of resources are available to you. 
Wonderful. And we're going to say that again before the show ends because I think that's a very important number to have on hand. And don't forget, you know, I mean, even if you're not a person who needs an advocate, chances are very very high in this day and age that you will encounter somebody who would be grateful that you have that information. Um, um, you know, we're we're all kind of in this together. Um, okay, so we've got the um, uh, crime victim advocate um, who can help with legal things, um, legal, I guess, rights and protections and the criminal justice system and the process and all that kind of stuff. And then we've got the resource and referral ones. What if somebody needs something more? What if somebody needs uh, assistance with dealing with their families? Or um, what if they need help with safety planning? What, are there uh, advocates who can do that? Absolutely. I mean, that's oftentimes what a good advocate will do. They'll say, okay, you know, you are a victim of domestic violence and you've got two kids. Okay, so and the the lease of the apartment is in your husband's name or in your boyfriend's name, and we need to first legally figure out how that lease can be changed to your name. And then in the meantime, we may need to find you um, some alternative housing. Um, And probably when this guy gets out, um, he's going to know where you work. So we're going to have to help you figure out a safety plan because you can't just get up and get a new job. It's easier to get a new house, but it's much harder just to get up and get a new house, a a new job. So we're going to have to do safety planning. People at the front desk of your job should know um, that if this guy shows up, he's not allowed in. Um, Your workplace should have a policy that if you've got to miss days in order to be in court or because you have PTSD, there should be something in place at your office. So your advocate should be able to talk to your boss or your supervisor. So um, there's all different kinds of things that an advocate an advocate can do to keep somebody safe and also keep their family moving along. Mm-hmm. And again, how do we find these people? I mean, I have not been the victim of a crime, but I've had other crises and other things that require, uh, that that are life um, altering. And at the time, you're not thinking about, okay, I'll Google this and I'll Google that and I'll figure out this and I'll figure out that. How do people plug into these these um, um, advocates that are out there? The best way to do it is really to start with your prosecutor's office or your police department. They will have some services that they know about and they can lead you to. A lot of times if they have the resources, they'll have a person there. So that's always the first place to start and to say, you know, I'm really scared when this guy gets out, he's just going to come to my house. He's going to beat me up again. What am I going to do? And they can usually refer you to somebody either within their department or in the community that can help you. Okay. All right. Um, What about community organizations? Are there community organizations other than than, um, crime victims resources that you're aware of? Sure, sure. I mean, oftentimes there'll be housing organizations or uh, mental health clinics that, you know, are available. If you go to a hospital, let's say, um, because you've had injuries, that's also, there's often 
victim advocates at the hospital that it can say, hey, look, you may suffer from PTSD and it may be a good idea to go see a therapist and they can lead you to somebody in your community that can give you help. Okay. And again, getting back to the cost of this, are are most communities, do they charge a sliding scale or do they offer it as part of the uh, 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 the the system, as you call it, or do they uh, are are we uh, who require these things? Are, do we, does it come out of our pocket? How does how does that work? The money part. So it it depends. Um, some of these costs are funded by you know the localities. Some of it is funded by the state, and some of it is funded to federal funds. A lot of the funding that goes to um, women who are victims of crime, so we're looking at sexual assault, we're looking at domestic violence and stalking, Um, a lot of those positions, the advocacy positions that we're talking about, either in a police department or in a community-based organization, are funded through the Violence Against Women Act. This was an act that was first passed in 1992 um, and currently is funded at almost $480 million, which is a lot of money, and that's wonderful. However, President Trump is talking about cutting those funds completely. Hmm. Well, I don't want to stray into a political discussion at this particular point, but VAWA has been had ups and downs. It seems to me the last time it was uh, due for renewal, we hit snags. and um, So VAWA has continued to be, um, um, has not just been a shoe-in for the whole 20-some years that it's been around, but um, but they they do, they also, you mentioned your hotline number, they also, um, uh, VAWA also pays for the National Domestic Violence Hotline, where people can call and uh, get resources in their own communities, or if they just want to talk, they can just talk at that uh, hotline number. Um, I usually have that number on the wall, I don't have it right now, so I'll look it up, and then at the end of the show, we'll give the uh, Victims uh, of Crime hotline number as well as the um, domestic violence hotline number so that people have those resources. So, okay, so for right now, a lot of the funding comes from the federal level. Um, do states individually or communities, do they chip in for these kinds of things? Yes, or can they do. I, I, and I hesitate to ask these questions because I realize that, you know, when you're talking smaller entities, it can vary dramatically from one spot to the next, but uh, as a general rule, uh, states and communities also kick in for victims' advocacy? Yes, yes, absolutely. I think, you know, over the last 25 years, what we've been able to do, which is a good thing, is educate the public as to the prevalence of domestic violence and sexual assault. And I think because of that, you know, city councils and state governments have said, this needs to be a priority and we need to have resources in our communities um, when women are in really difficult situations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So we've talked about, um, you know, what an advocate is and what areas they can, they can help, uh, help in. How, how are they trained? I mean, if I just decide, gee, I really want to help people, I can just be an advocate. How are they trained? 
Sure. Um, you know, there's lots of different roads to becoming an advocate. Um, you can go to school, you can become a social worker and be trained as a formal social worker in order to be a victim advocate. Um, and then either go work in a police department or a prosecutor's office or find a community-based, you know, rape crisis center that you want to work in. Um, you can become a lawyer and decide, um, much like myself, I became a prosecutor and, you know, I worked with victims every day and fought for them and for what they wanted. So those are very kind of, okay, you go to a, and, um, you know, probably in the last 10 to 15 years, a criminal justice degree, either a BA or a master's is become very popular. And there often is sort of a victim track that you can take in order to really understand what victims need and how to best advocate for them. But, you know, the other thing that a lot of people do is they begin volunteering at a rape crisis center or a domestic violence shelter. And they get really hooked on the work and slowly they start as a volunteer and then they start in an entry level job and then they work their way up. Um, so all of these ways are very valid ways of trying to help victims and helping them find their voice. Okay. You know, I was talking with a very wise lady uh, last night who has spent uh, a lot of her life being an advocate um, and helping people who've experienced domestic violence. And I asked her, um, what, what is an advocate? What does an advocate do? And she gave me a wonderful um, definition. She said an advocate listens, validates, and tries to help empower I would totally agree with that. I think that that is that is the the best thing an advocate to uh, the best of what an advocate can be. I mean, you don't want to talk at somebody who's in trauma. That's the last thing that they need. You need to sometimes just sit next to them and wait till they're ready to tell you what they need. Um, and then when they are, really listen to them and kind of try to guide them to what's best for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you have some situation, situations that you would share with us where uh, um, to explain how an advocate actually works in a real-life situation? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, I think that... Uh, you know, one of the most traumatic situations for any woman to go through is to be raped. Um, And if somebody has the wherewithal to actually call the police um, at the time the rape takes place, um, you know, the best thing that a police department can do is to have an advocate there from the very beginning, trying to ease the pain and the trauma of the individual who just had the worst thing in the world happen to them. Um, they're often ha- going to have to do a SANE test, which is an awful, awful ex- exam, but very necessary in order to prove the, the guilt of the perpetrator. You know, it means, you know, having all sorts of parts of your body, you know, having pictures taken, swabs taken from every orifices of your body, tweezers taken to personal parts of your body it's it's really it's really important um 
but at the same time, um, in order to get, you know, the DNA of the perpetrator and everything else, it's really difficult for a woman to go through or for a man to go through. And having an advocate there explaining why it's important, um, also holding your hand and telling the person that's doing it to maybe step back for a little while, she needs to breathe, she needs a little bit of time, and then listening to the person and just saying, you know, how are you doing? And if that person just needs somebody to stand there and know that somebody's taking, somebody's, you are the angel watching over this person um, in their time of need. And then they need to go back to their home and they may be scared and they may, I don't want to go back home. And, you know, you need to maybe work with them to say, okay, do you have a friend? Is your mom around? Is there some place that you would feel safe and then take her there? I mean, a lot of it is just having patience and listening and knowing that it's being a victim is just a difficult, difficult thing to do, and you need somebody to hold your hand through it. What about being the advocate? It sounds to me like that is a very difficult thing to do as well, Um, not only because I tend to be a problem solver, so it would be hard for me to not jump up and try to problem solve, which is probably the last thing that's necessary at that kind of a situation, Um, but also because it would seem to me, I mean, what are some of the constraints? I mean, certainly privacy, uh, confidentiality. um, It it sounds to me like the requirements for an advocate must be overwhelming. Well, you know, um, in the field we talk a lot about self-care, being really aware about what the situations can do to you and then figuring out, you know, do I need to have some mental health counseling to sort of debrief as to what I've just seen and gone through? Uh, do I need a support group for with other people that are doing similar things? And, you know, we can at least share experiences and not feel isolated um, in the kind of work that we do. Sometimes you have to say, time out. I just need a break. I can't, I can't take another case. Um, and then, you know, there are things like confidentiality. You can't go around saying, you know, I was just with, you know, Mary Smith all last night. Um, you have to be very aware that, you know, you're dealing with somebody's most private moments and that you don't have the ability to go around telling people what just happened. Um, so you have to find ways of caring for yourself, but also, um, you know, knowing that you're dealing with a pro- the most private moments of an individual's life. Um, and um, it's it's it can be a hard job, but I think it's also very rewarding in that you know that you're giving true help. Um, we also talk a lot about boundaries and knowing that there's only so much you can do for an individual, and that there's a point where you have to say no, I can't do that. You can't you can't stay at my house. That's not appropriate, you know. Or you really can't call me at three in the morning. Um, So there are things that sometimes as advocates, we do have to say, okay, I can do this for you, but I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So um, where do people get training for advocacy? If I guess what I'm thinking of is, okay, great. You can be an attorney or you can be a social worker, but 
it almost sounds like advocacy could also be done on just a personal level. Is is that my misinterpretation? or? Uh, you know, I think that people can always help on a personal level. I think it's always good to be attached to an organization that understands what an, what a victim is going through and not to try to go, look, you can always be somebody's friend. Um, if you have a friend that's going through who's been a victim of crime, you want to be there for them and um, try to understand them as a good friend. But as a good friend, you may want to get them to some professional help because there are things that, you know, they're going to need that you're just not, you're not trained in uh, dealing with people who have just been traumatized. You need a real mental health counselor to be able to help with that. Um, so as a good friend, I think, you know, you're a good friend and you're there, but you also need to lead them to professional help. What kinds of scenarios, um, and, and I, re- you know, I mean, I'm obviously not asking for individual personal thing, but just kind of a conglomerate of what kinds of calls come in to your organization, the National Center for Victims of Crime? Um, you know, it can be anything from um, where do I get compensated? There, Every state has a state victims of crime compensation law, and you can be compensated for certain kinds of, of expenses, burial expenses. Sometimes, um, depending on the state, um, you know, sometimes it's lost wages. Uh, sometimes it's medical expenses. Every state is different, um, so a lot of times we get questions about that. Where do I go? What do I do? Um, who do I talk to? Um, sometimes it's people who, you know, at the time of their victimization didn't want to come forward to report and now do want to report. So it's who do I report to? Where do I go? Um, sometimes it's somebody who's... Um, you know, sort of reliving um, a victimization and wants to know if there's somebody in their community that can give them mental health mental health services. A lot of times it's housing. I need to get out of my apartment um, and I've got two kids. Where can I go? So it really, sometimes it's, you know, they took my iPhone and I don't know where to go, go get it. Can I go get it? Or is it a piece of evidence now? Um, mm-hmm. So, it can be from the most sort of practical, I just want my stuff back to, you know, I'm in, I've got PTSD, where do I get help? Mm-hmm. Do you ever get a call from somebody who experienced a, a crime or an assault years before? Um, yeah. And has never really, yeah? Yes, yeah. I mean, that's, that's especially if, if the crime happened, to them when they were a child. If they were sexually abused as a child, it's really not until they become an adult that they really want to come forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I think that as just as regular people, uh, I'm thinking of situations in my life where I've kind of been called upon to be an advocate and I had not a clue how to do it other than just stand there and and listen um, you know, and um, maybe hold a hand if I could. But um, I don't think I really understood that there were professionals out there who could help with advocacy. 
Um, if somebody is just Googling, and of course I did this, you know, how, what is an advocate? Da, 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 and I got a million different kinds of responses, you know, from victim advocates to um, people who go out and politically advocate for a cause. And at first I thought, well, why do they call those people the same as an advocate? It's clearly different. But then I thought, well, no, it, it really isn't, is it? Um, to be like a political advocate advocating for something um, and being a one-on-one kind of advocate. Um, am I making sense here? Do you... Yes. I mean, in in many ways, it is is you know you're you're pro- you're promoting something, uh, the cause of somebody else. Um, one is an individual, and one is a bigger situation. You know. We often, you know, there's people who work with domestic violence victims and people who advocate for better domestic violence laws. Um, Those both are necessary, but they probably are very different skill sets. Yeah. Well, and I think that also, you know, when we're talking about what is an advocate, we're talking a lot about uh, victims of crime, we're talking about domestic violence or sexual assault, Um, but there are also advocates. I I know Dr. Karen Hoffer, who's a friend of this show, uh, has started a program um, at uh, John Jay University on being an equal access advocate, um, which are people who are being trained to go into courtroom situations to deal with people who are suffering from ADA-defined disabilities, Um, and they are not necessarily represented by attorneys in court, and and so she's training a cadre of advocates to go with these folks uh, under the Americans for Disabilities Act. So that's a whole different kind of an advocate, isn't it? Well, it's an advocate that's looking at the disability of you you know you oftentimes people who are disabled are often huge targets of victimization because they're easy targets if you can't walk chances are people can probably mug you on the street pretty easily um so it it goes hand in hand that if you have an advocate you have to have somebody that understands your disability and how it limits you if you need to find new housing you need to find housing where you know it's wheelchair accessible um so it's it is advocacy it's just a more defined kind of advocacy mhm okay so i guess my point being that there are advocates for just about anything um that that you could possibly need help for the trick is going to be finding them so if i'm the victim of a crime i can call you know uh, the the national number if i'm a victim of domestic violence i can call the national number if i'm a, a a victim who needs advocacy in some other area it might be a little trickier to find somebody to help me um but i'm wondering if psychological associations or um are psychologists perceived as advocates I'm sure that in certain circumstances there are. Um, I'm just not sure what circumstances those are. That's not really my my specialty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, let's talk on it. We've we've kind of been coming at this from kind of a, uh, you know, a, a studious uh, approach and uh, definition approach, et cetera. Why do we need an advocate? What is it about us that... that requires the assistance of an advocate? And do some people accept that assistance more readily than others? Sure. I mean, I think it, it depends on the, on the individual. There's going to be certain people who think that 
they can plow through whatever has just happened to them. The reality is that we're all human beings and trauma affects us, affects the brain in very similar ways. I mean, maybe some more severely than, than not, but we are all traumatized by a violent experience. And so if you understand that, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, you, it's like if, if you broke your leg, you know it needs to get reset. I mean, you don't think twice about whether you need to go to a doctor and get that, that, that leg reset and have a cast put on. Well, if you've just gone through a very traumatic experience, your brain is really in a very delicate situation and you need assistance. And you need assistance at different times and different kinds of assistance. And so as a human, we're all human beings and we all sort of have similar responses to traumatic experiences. Um, And sometimes it's somebody holding your hand. Sometimes it helps for somebody to explain to you what's going to happen to you next. If you've just been mugged, what's going to happen to me at the police station? Are they going to strip search me or are they just going to ask me some questions? What's what's going to happen next and what's going to ease the pain for me as a person. And do, does the cost of an advocate usually come from some sort of crime victim's funding or is the person usually on their own for that? No, I mean, as we've stated before, usually there are sources of funding for community organizations to hire people um, whether there's enough victim advocates is a different it's a different story there's usually a lack of them there's a lack of services out there um, particularly specialized services so if you are you know you speak um, you know Amharic and you're a victim of a crime it's going to be difficult to find somebody who can be a victim advocate for you and speaks your language. So um, there's oftentimes there's more, it's not oftentimes, there is more need out there than there is help. Hmm. Um, And is the need specialized need or just in general, uh, the specialized as well as general uh, need? Both. Both. We need more shelter beds. Shelter beds are, you know, people stand in line for shelter beds And there's people, you know, there's very specific communities, like you've mentioned, the disabled. Disabled people need very specific kinds of assistance. People with a foreign language need language assistance. So there's there's general needs that aren't met and very specific needs that aren't met. We're talking uh, so far about the kind of an, um, an immediate response, immediate need for advocate. Um, what, a, what about some long-term? Uh, you know, I think in general our culture tends to think that, okay, something bad happens to you, you deal with it, and then you move on, and it depends on the person. I, I know I have a, a, a friend who lost uh, his spouse, and it was like, okay, you've had a year, and now it's time to move on. Uh, you know, <laughs> and so I think we we tend as a culture to assign time frames to things um, uh, for um, what we're comfortable allowing you to um, be a victim. The, sure. And, and 
yeah, and and so um, I would suspect, I don't know for sure, and maybe you can correct me, but I would suspect that if somebody goes through some sort of uh, victim trauma or victimize, victimization, whatever, um, that they have some pressure to, um, you know, get over it and move on in a certain time frame, but not everybody works that way. And so I could picture this, trauma staying with the person and and still needing work but not getting it because of our artificial um pressure on on time constraints um what what about long term advocacy um is there such a thing is there a need for that and does that exist yes um oftentimes you know there is i mean sometimes people you know, if a child is sexually abused, um, you know, when they're seven or eight, they may have long-term health problems. Like they have migraines all their life and they haven't really figured out why they have migraines. And then they go seek some mental health treatment and then they finally realize that the cause of the migraines is the mental, is, is the fact that they were raped by their uncle when they were seven. Um, so, that person has long-term mental health and health needs um, that need to be taken care of. Um, sometimes people seek, you know, uh, civil remedies for that. They actually go to court and they sue their perpetrators in those situations. And they get the kinds, you know, they get, you know, they can be be paid back by the perpetrator for, that kind of loss. So um, that's one way people seek to deal with long-term pain is to really go after the perpetrator years later and say, you've caused me to have all these different problems. Um, So that's one way that people deal with it. You know, having mental health assistance is always good in somebody that understands the long-term needs of these individuals and then might be able to advocate in the workplace and be able to write a letter to a boss and say, look, this person needs to have some accommodations. They need to be able to work from home one day a week um, because they have these long-term traumatic um, needs. There are some people, like you said, every victim is different. Some people can move on, um, and they don't have any traumatic um, experiences later on in life. Um, so it's something that we're learning more and more about the long-term needs and how those can be addressed. Um, but, you know, just because it happened in the past and it happened years past doesn't mean that the effects of that don't go forward with you sometimes for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. What about um now several years ago um I went back to graduate school and um uh, was taking a class with a lot of uh, in a domestic violence class uh with a lot of people who were advocates in domestic violence and at that point they were saying gosh we don't want people who have experienced domestic violence to be advocates. And I found that kind of interesting because when you're talking about alcoholism we tend to want people who have experience with alcoholism personally to be counselors and advocates for alcoholics. So I was questioning why, you know, why this this difference. 
And one of the responses was, first of all, it was changing, but the one of the responses that I got was um, it would re-traumatize, this person wouldn't be able to be objective in, in assessing the needs of a, of a different victim, da-da-da-da. Do you see that? Do you, can Can victims become advocates successfully? It often happens, and it means that that person is self-aware and knows that they at moments may be re-traumatized. We, we're, all, we're all human, and so there could be something that we don't expect that triggers us. But if, if we do get a trigger, we know that we need to go back and talk to a mental health professional and speak to somebody and say, you know, I was just with this victim. I've seen, you know, hundreds of victims before this, but for some reason this one triggered my own victimization. And so I don't think it's a question of people who've been victimized not becoming advocates. It's a question about understanding that we need to take care of ourselves if we're going to do that kind of work and that we need to be very self-aware in that, um, you know, different situations can um, affect us in ways that we don't expect and then we need to help ourselves. Can I ask you a personal question? I mean, I, I, I can sure. ask you a personal question, but, you know, I mean, I, don't be offended. And if you don't want to answer, that's fine. Do you have personal experience with victimization, and is that what led you to uh, to your career path? I, I think we've all been victims of some kind of crime. I have not been a victim of a violent crime um, of any kind of stolen. I've, uh, I've been in places where uh, there's been traumatic events, um, but I have not personally been a victim of a violent crime. Um, but I, I think it was, you know, becoming when I started off um, as a prosecutor, you know, some people really loved the courtroom and some people really liked the fighting in the courtroom. I actually enjoyed listening to people's stories and seeing how I could help. Um, and I think that um, you either are that kind of person or you're not that kind of person. And it doesn't mean that you're better or worse. It just means that you have a certain skill set that maybe others don't. Some people run fast and some people don't. Some people can listen and help. Some people aren't as good at, at that. Okay, um, that makes sense. Um, and clearly, you've uh, in, enjoyed your uh, a, a fairly long career in this particular field, so you must be pretty good at it as well. Um, what is the one thing or the two things that you can think of that somebody who wants to be an advocate needs to have, as if, whether it's a personal characteristic or a, a quality or a, a, a skill? What what things do you think are necessary? Uh, for people who wish to be advocates? It all depends on what kind of advocate you want to be. Um, I mean, if you're going to be being upfront and personal when somebody has just gotten raped, you've got to be able to deal with those kinds of situations and not get flustered. Um, but you could end up being somebody who's a scientist and is looking at DNA from perpetrators and trying to find yeah, people. I, I mean, it's really hard for me to say what is it that you need to be because you can advocate in so many different kinds of ways. Uh, there's a reason why sometimes people go into the political advocacy. It's because they have a hard time dealing with individuals 
with trauma. They care deeply about individuals with trauma, but that's not their skill set. Their skill set is going to the state legislators and convincing them that they need to be spending more money on services for these people. So I think it really, there's a, a vast amount of ways that you can help people in these kind of situations. It just really depends on what is your skill set and what you feel comfortable with. Okay. Let's spend a moment talking about the National Center for Victims of Crime. What is this organization and um, why was it started and um, what does it have to do with the whole advocacy issue? So our organization was Von Bulow and um, folks that are from New York might recognize that name. Um, okay, we, um, my, we lost you a little bit there. I think that your phone might have twisted or something. So start over again. Your organization was started when? By it was started 35 years ago by the children of Sonny Von Bulow, and folks from New York might recognize the name. Or um, uh, there was also a. Um, a, an Academy Award winning movie about it. Um, and Sonny Von Bulow was a very, very rich heiress. And um, she married a, a man by the name of Klaus Von Bulow. Klaus tried to kill her by giving her insulin injections. Um, the first time he, she went into a short coma but came out the second time she, he put her into a 30-year coma. Um, the court went the uh, the case went to trial and he was found guilty. But then, on appeal on a technicality, uh, it was sent back to court, and uh, he was found not guilty. So the children said, "With you know, our problem wasn't having resources. We had all the resources in the world. How about those people who don't have resources like we do?" We want to help those. And they started the National Center 35 years ago. And since then, we have done everything from create um, pieces of information for the media to better understand how, how to deal with the issue of rape and deal with rape victims. We've done um, information. Um, we've done studies on why... It's important to focus on domestic violence issues in the LGBTQ community. We have helped many, many people um, receive justice through the civil justice system. Um, we have special programs to deal with stalking. Um, we've looked at um, how people may not be hurt by a violent crime, but financial crime can just can be as devastating because it takes away somebody's complete resources. So our job is to really sort of educate the public on all different kinds of crime, but also to be a source of training and support for local organizations around the country. Okay. Okay. And you do that by providing information and doing the research, and um, do you do any kind of advocacy training for other we do. We do advocacy training, and we do specific kinds of training 
for individuals on the ground. So we'll do a special training on financial abuse in the elderly um, in jurisdictions around the country. We will go to college campuses and explain to them how stalking is a huge issue and can lead to a much worse crime. Um, We'll do seminars for advocates around the country on how their victims can get justice through the civil justice system. So we do on-the-ground training. We do tons of webinars. We try to provide written information and social media information and, and every kind of platform available to us to get the latest information on how to help victims to the people that serve victims. Great. You know, it's interesting. You, I hadn't thought about the financial uh, crimes, but, you know, it's true. I mean, I saw that with my parents. I think as they got older, you know, they became so vulnerable financially. You know, they, they, they were so worried about their security and, you know, whether they would have enough. And, you know, I, they became just so vulnerable in that whole area of financial um, dealings. I could understand how that would be perceived as, you know, by them as just being absolutely as as vicious as any kind of physical assault. Um, yeah, um, you know, a lot of the frauds get perpetrated against the elderly, A, because they have savings, so people know that they have money um, that can be stolen. Also, the first thing um, mentally that sort of goes is your capacity to deal with numbers. And so it's easier for fraudsters to get to the, to older people because they're just not as sharp about their finances and, and how to handle them as they were, you know, 10, 15, 20 years before that. So they're a really vulnerable population. There's, there's millions of scams out there and um, people have to be educated and when it, about what these scams are. And also when they happen, you know, where they can report it. You know, a lot of times police departments are, they don't know what to do about a financial crime because that's not the kind of crime they they generally investigate. So we've done a lot of um, education around where do you report these and what can you do. Yeah. Interesting. So many aspects of, of, you know, of crime and of, um, you know, uh, despair and all of the things that happen to people. And I just, I mean, I didn't think that I really needed to learn a whole lot about advocacy, but I guess I did because um, you have shared with me some areas of advocacy that I had never even thought of. So I appreciate that. I'm looking at the clock right now, Mai, and our time is coming to a close. Did I miss out on asking you anything that you think was really important that we should say before the show ends? No, I just wanted to reiterate that if people want to know where they can get resources, that they should call our hotline. Again, it's 855-4-VICTIM, and that's 855-484-2846. I also want to um, hand out the... Yeah, I also want to give out at the same time of the National Domestic Violence Hotline, 1-800-799-SAFE. 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 7233. So 
So 799-7233. So a couple of good resources for folks. Um, the other thing, Mai, that I wanted to ask you about is you mentioned that you do webinars and you have educational things. Are those only for other organizations, or can individuals um, partake of those? Uh, victims can uh, – I'm sorry, anybody can um, sign up for our webinars. Some of them so cost money, was, a lot the, of them are free. So what website um, would they go to? Um, victimsofcrime.org. Victimsofcrime.org, spelled out all, all the way out. Okay, terrific. You know, I usually end our show with a quote. Uh, I found so many quotes about advocacy, um, and I was so um, – Grateful to my friend who, as I mentioned earlier, has been an advocate her whole life uh, for sharing with me her definition of an advocate. Uh, and I'm going to say that again because I think it's very important. She said, an advocate listens, validates, and tries to help empower a victim no matter what they are victimized by. So I really appreciate that. And in looking at uh, quotes to end our show, I found one um, by Wes Stafford, whom I am assuming is an advocate of one form or another, because his quote is, I spend half my time comforting the afflicted and the other half afflicting the comfortable. And so I think that brings in both both of the, the ranges of advocacy that we talked about a little bit. My thank you very much. What's down the road for you and the uh, National Center for Victims of Crime? Anything new coming up this year? We're still at the beginning of the year. I think that we are looking to take on some new programs dealing with homicide victims. Uh, we're also looking at the underserved populations, populations that – you know, or have been hidden for a long time, but yet have been uh, terribly victimized. Um, so we're really looking at focusing in um, our attention on those two issues, and who knows what lies ahead. Yeah, and things are so. This is such a uh, a tumultuous time right now. Who knows what's going to come up? But um, clearly, you know, for millennia, we have had uh, perpetrators and we have had victims, and I think that we're doing a pretty good job of trying, at least, to help as many victims as we can. And uh, my, I appreciate it that uh, you pointed out that we're all trying to do that in our own ways. And those ways may be different one from another, but we're all still out there trying to uh, trying to give it a go and do the best we can. So thank you very much, Mai Fernandez, for being with us on this show. She is the Executive Director of the National Center for Victims of Crime and has been since 2010. And uh, we appreciate your input. We appreciate your perspective on what it means to be an advocate. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank on you. Three Women. It's been a pleasure. Three Women. 